0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, "Light at the End of the Tunnel," Pfizer says its COVID-19 vaccine candidate may be more than 90 percent effective at preventing the coronavirus. The company's CEO shares this watershed
1: moment. It is a, a great day for science. It is a great day for humanity. I think we can see light at the end of the tunnel.
0: After months of thinking the days of travel and hugs were behind us the world can hope for normal again.
1: I believe this is likely the most significant medical advance in the last hundred years.
0: While we have a long way to go in ending this pandemic, Pfizer's Dr. Albert Borla says, for the moment, we should enjoy relief.
1: Sometimes I have tears in my eyes. I think uh, the most important thing right now For everyone, it is to feel the joy
2: that it happened. And it happened so well.
0: Our own Joe Kernan certainly is.
2: I woke up to a horoscope that said, you may be rather emotional about something today. I swear to God.
0: (laughs) It's Monday, November 9th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right
3: after this.
0: This is SquawkPod from CNBC.
4: Welcome back to Squawk Box, everybody. We have some breaking news from Pfizer. Meg Terrell joins us right now. Meg, good morning.
3: Good morning, Becky. This is the news that we've been waiting to hear. Pfizer and BioNTech reporting the first results from their phase three vaccine trial saying that in this interim look, the vaccine showed to be more than 90% effective in preventing COVID-19 cases. Now, this is the first look we're getting at any of these efficacy studies of COVID-19 vaccines, and it is much higher than analysts had been expecting or modeling. 90%
0: effectiveness. That is some crazy good news, especially when you consider that typical vaccine development takes years. Of course, as you'll hear, there's much more work to be done, from ensuring the vaccine's efficacy among different populations, to supplying it around the world, to cementing the public's confidence in the drug, it is available it really is big news and lucky for us our own senior health and science reporter meg terrell broke it on air with the squawk box anchors today joe kernan becky quick and andrew ross sorkin here's meg
3: now this is based on seeing 94 infections of covid 19 in the trial we don't have a formal breakdown of all of the data but pfizer and biontech saying based on the breakdown of cases of those 94 There were so many more on placebo than on vaccine. That's how they get to that 90% efficacy level. Now, they also say no serious safety concerns were observed in the trial so far. They plan to file uh, with the FDA for emergency use authorization after they reach a safety milestone of two months follow up on half their participants, which they expect to reach in the third week of November, which essentially is next week. 90% efficacy. That is much higher than everybody was expecting for this vaccine. Back over to you.
4: Hey, a great day for humanity. Great day for science. Great day for the markets. Check this out. 90 percent effective is kind of amazing. We were thinking, OK, if we can get something that's 50 to 60 percent effective, OK, the the flu vaccine is nowhere near this effective.
3: Yeah, Becky, I was actually looking this up last night. The flu vaccine is about 40 to 60 percent effective. When you're talking about more than 90 percent efficacy, you start to get into the range of things like The measles vaccine, that's 97% effective after two shots. Um, Chickenpox vaccine, 92% effective after two shots. Smallpox, 95% effective. This is really a high bar of efficacy. And the FDA's bar for considering approval was 50% effective. And so they are going to continue with this study until they accrue more cases. And so the percent uh, efficacy might change. So we'll have to watch that as it goes. But um, this is is much higher uh, than than people expected.
4: And again, the safety profile, they, they saw no safety concerns with anything they've they've seen to this point. How much more testing needs to be done before you can say, "Okay, this is something that would absolutely be approved by the FDA?
3: Well, vaccine experts say that most side effects you would typically see within six weeks of administration of the shots. And so that's why they're looking for that two-month safety follow-up on half the participants in the trial. And they've uh, enrolled almost 44,000 people in this study, and more than 35,000 have received their second shot. Uh, And so at that point, they would file for emergency use authorization. Um, They are going to follow everybody in this trial for two years to observe further long-term data, Um, But, you know, given that we're in a pandemic and this is an emergency, they're going to be filing, obviously, much earlier than that. Of course, then the next question is supply. Pfizer says 50 million doses globally by the end of this year. So this will be constrained at the beginning, as we've been reporting. But we are expecting data from Moderna at some point this month as well. And then also from Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca and others following on. So, guys, this is the first news we're getting on a vaccine and it's so much better than people expected. We'll wait to hear how the others do.
2: Just the, so many questions still remain, I guess, Meg, about, uh, I mean, and we won't know if it's permanent immunity, right? Is it, is it mediated through just the, the B cells? How long would the T cell immunity last? I mean, there's, there, there are some other questions. Does it, uh, is it the antibody levels that are so positive or are or, or actually preventing the symptoms of COVID uh, uh, for for weeks and weeks in in patients.
3: You're asking all the questions that science needs to know about this virus and about how vaccines work against the virus uh, in order to better understand how they work. So we don't know yet what the correlates of protection are and the phase three results, the full phase three results will start to give scientists a picture of what do you need to see in terms of the antibody response, the T cell response that will actually confer to real protection from the disease. And that is what these results are showing, real protection from COVID-19. Now, we don't know how many severe cases of COVID-19 were in this trial. That is a secondary endpoint that they are going to continue to monitor. Um, But that is something that critics have said of all these trials, that you really wanna make sure you're keeping people out of the hospital, you're preventing the most critical cases of the disease. They're just, counting any cases of COVID-19 in terms of um, deciding efficacy. And Joe, the other question about how long this lasts, that's another key question. And of course, they only started this phase three trial at the end of July. They started their phase one trial you know, back in the, the spring. So they have some data on that. But, you know, it, it's just not long enough necessarily to know how long that protection lasts.
2: I mean, this is a big day. This is a big this is big news for all of us who, who someday uh, and when I say all of us, I mean all of us, for someday, want to get back to, to life that's more normal, hugs and, and school and uh, sporting events and it, just everything that you can imagine. Um, so I really think that, See you know, I family. don't think we can really overstate the possibilities here. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves, obviously, but... Uh, You know, for those people that said, oh, we'll never get a vaccine or, or, you know, it's not, you know, it's never going to be the same. And and really who were, you know, wondering about the financial markets in the response. I mean, this this could be good. Right.
3: Well, Joe, I mean, the light is there at the end of the tunnel. The big question up until this morning was everything looks great so far. Will we actually have a vaccine? Will they actually work in the phase three trials? This look shows us that this vaccine was more than 90 percent effective in this trial there is light at the end of the tunnel, but public health experts will be jumping to remind folks that that tunnel is long. We won't have enough supply of these vaccines. Most of us won't be able to get access into until into next year. And we will have to continue to wear masks and social distance and do all of the things to protect ourselves in the meantime. And Joe, you mentioned the supply is an issue. Another huge issue is that a lot of Americans are skeptical of this vaccine because of the pace of the development, and there will be a huge hurdle for the you know, folks working on this vaccine to, to get people comfortable with taking it.
4: Meg Terrell has a very special guest this morning. Uh, Meg, this is the news of the morning, the news of the week, uh, and much more than that. Go ahead and take this away. We are all ears.
3: Becky, thank you. That guest is Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer. Albert, thanks for being here. What a morning. I can only imagine what you all at Pfizer are feeling today. What was it like when you saw the results? 90% efficacy for your vaccine for COVID.
1: It was exactly what you can imagine. Uh, uh, It is uh, a great day for science. It is a great day for humanity. When you realize that uh, your vaccine has a 90% effectiveness, that's overwhelming. Uh, You understand that uh, the hopes of billions of people and millions and uh, businesses and hundreds of governments that were felt on our shoulders, now we can uh, credibly try them. I think we can see light at the end of the tunnel.
3: You said no serious safety concerns that you observed in the trial so far. Uh, Tell us what you've seen there. What's it going to be like for people if and when this vaccine gets on the market to, to take these shots? I mean, after the second one, you do feel some side effects sometimes, right?
1: Yes, we have published, as you remember, in our um, R&D day at Pfizer, unblinded safety data from uh, the first, I think, 6,000 patients. Now we have uh, uh, 36, almost 40,000 patients with uh, second dose already being given. And uh, it's exactly the same situation. hasn't changed at all. So the tolerability profile, uh, it is among uh, the best.
3: So this is, of course, just the top line data. You took a look in uh, on an interim basis. You had 94 infections in the trial. So we don't have the the spelled out data. But what can you tell us about, you know, did you prevent severe infection in the trial? You know, just tell us what you can essentially at this point about what you know.
1: No, I'm telling you what I can because I don't have this information. As you know, all this information is blinded and there is a committee of independent experts that are reviewing the data. According to the protocol, the only information that they had to give us was if the product is effective and the effectiveness of this product in the first primary point, but was uh, people without prior infections. And also they had a look on the safety database and they told us that uh, they have no Safety concerns. Uh, We are not aware of uh, the secondary endpoints, and one of them it is the severe COVID. And we are just waiting for the study to be completed. But uh, given how quickly the events are accruing, because unfortunately these great news are coming at a time that the world needs them the most, where we have hundred thousand cases every day, uh, we will have uh, completed the study, I think, before the end of the month.
5: Albert. Congratulations. Uh, I think a lot of people are are (laughs) a sigh of relief, uh, hopefully, uh, and and praying uh, that this can get out quickly. One of the issues we've been talking about is the supply constraints and how quickly that's going to change and move. I know there's 50 million doses available before the end of the year, 1.2 million doses in calendar year 2021. Can you speak to how you see that rolling out? Is that in fits and starts? How quickly does that come? Is that by the first half of the year, second half of the year? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, first of all, let me tell you that there is no one more relieved than me seeing these uh, this, uh, results. Um, we are already started uh, manufacturing some time back. And as I said, we believe uh, we should be able to have up to 50 million this year, 1.3 billion next year. Uh, This will be coming gradually, in the beginning uh, a little bit less, then uh, the first quarter more, the second quarter more, and then we have a significant ramp up in the second half uh, of uh, the year to deliver the 1.3 billion. But uh, given how effective this vaccine is, and we are uh, aware that uh, the demand will be much higher than anything we can produce, we are also looking right now to see if uh, there are other ways, thinking out of the box, that increase even further. The manufacturing capacity. Now we're speaking about 1,000 people dying in the U.S. every day,
5: right? So uh, there's no time to be lost here. And, and, and just to follow up on that, the 1.3 doses, a billion doses, I should say, um, because there are two doses required for each person, we're talking really uh, about 650 million uh, people that can be treated. Is that, is that the way to think about it? This
1: is exactly the way to think about it.
5: And then uh, the last question I had related to all of this is obviously there are rivals and competitors working on vaccines, and I know you can't speak necessarily to the, their vaccine efforts, but given what you think you've learned here, do you think you could extrapolate out those kinds of results in any of the similarly situated, uh, situated vaccines that are using similar technologies?
1: Well, let me tell you, what, when it comes to pandemic, uh, the only competitor is the virus, and time. And right now, the first of, of, of all of us was able to beat, and I hope that others will also be able to beat this virus as effectively as we do because we need options. And let me take also the time right now to thank not only the hundreds, thousands actually, of uh, uh, scientists that uh, work, investigators in this side, but more importantly, the 44,000 volunteers that raised their hand participate in a trial, but they didn't know if the vaccine works or even if the vaccine is safe. I think the world owes them big time.
4: Yeah. Hey, Albert, I I said at the beginning that this is the news of the morning, the news of the week, but, you know, forget the election. This is the news of the year. This is the most important thing that we've heard, the most exciting thing that we've heard. And I just want to thank you, your team, everybody that you just thanked for this. I mean, this gives us hope. Um, that we didn't think was possible just an hour ago. Uh, let me ask you, uh, sign me up for this thing. How, how quickly can you reformulate it and find out what you need to do for older cohorts, cohorts where you know, they're most at risk for this, or, or for kids? I know Meg had mentioned earlier that you're doing this for kids as young as 12 right now. How quickly can we sign up all of our kids for this? How quickly can you get that testing taken care of?
1: Yeah, in this study, we are doing all the way from 12 years old to 85 years old. So we are collecting uh, data and information for all the age cohorts. We are also doing for people that have chronic diseases, HIV, hepatitis C, hepatitis B. So we will have a lot of data yeah, to provide for sure. the and of course they will decide which ages they are going to recommend it. But uh, the study is very robust right now.
4: Yeah, I, I, I hate to keep pushing this, but I've got a four-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a, a 94-year-old grandmother. How quickly can you move beyond that, you think? Are we talking six months? Are we Are talking nine months?
1: I think that the older people, more than 85, I think likely regulators in cases that you are doing studies to 85, they are giving, uh, and physicians, they are treating very easily the older people. But that's up to physicians and to FDA, of course. And uh, right now we are focusing on the 12 years old, but we will do also pediatric. I think the most vulnerable are the older people.
2: Hey Albert, I, I got three or four questions. I, I want to start uh, just, you know, you, you're, it's hard for you to, to, uh, to be just, um, you know, very serious and, and state about this. I can see how, how happy and excited you are. But can I ask you when you heard 90%, was there ever a period in the development where you were questioning whether there would be efficacy, and when you heard that it was 90%, were you, were you surprised that it was that, that high? Do it, it you think that looking at the science, it seems like a really high number that even it may have surprised you?
1: First of all, you're right. I'm very happy. But at the same time, sometimes I have tears in my eyes when I realize that uh, this is the end of uh, a 9 months, day day-and-night work of so many people and how many, as I said, people... Billions invested hopes on this. Uh, You know, I was uh, going uh, up and down uh, while I was trying to maintain my mind not to speculate if the vaccine works. And then the other day I was thinking maybe it would not because I have seen many times, although the data, your phase one and phase two are very positive, sometimes you fail on phase three. Uh, But I was cautiously optimistic. I never thought it would be 90%.
2: My next question has to do with it's 90%. That's like measles, what we said. It's like, that's like a vaccine that we think of that you get when you're a kid and you're done for life. And I'm wondering, when will we know whether that's the case? What type of additional studies need to be performed for us to know that there won't be a yearly comeback of a different variation uh, of COVID that would require a, a flu-type shot every year? When will we know how long the immunity lasts in terms of... Uh, uh, of antibodies being present or, or the right type of cells? Um, and what kind of tests are, you plan- are your scientists planning now that you need to do to determine the answer to those things?
1: Yes. We have already in our protocol provisions that uh, this study will continue and we will follow the patients for two years. And uh, the reason is we want to maintain that for two years there will be, we will exhaust every single possibility that uh, we will pick up any uh, safe event but also we will see how long the immunogenicity lasts and how more long the, the cell immunity lasts. And uh, so with this study, as time progresses, we will find out about uh, the durability of the protection.
4: I said before, sign me up, and I'm sure there are lots and lots of people who are thinking the same thing, but the the ethics of how you distribute this are are, are going to be pretty closely watched. How do you do it? How do you determine who who gets it and who who has to wait?
1: You're absolutely right. And I truly believe that uh, it's not for Pfizer to decide who will get the vaccine. I think it is for the health authorities of every country and in many cases within the same country of every region or of every state in the US, for example. Because the the situation differs from uh, state to state or from country to country, and you need to tailor it to the needs of the specific uh, geographical uh, region. Uh, We will, of course, work with all these health authorities to provide them the insight that they need to understand how our product works in groups of older people in groups of younger people we will provide all this information and eventually they have to make the decision who gets it obviously uh i believe that all these authorities will make the decisions in the most scientific and equitable base
3: hey albert it's meg terrell just to follow up on that question of course you know governments will be making the decisions about allocation for their citizens but how do the decisions get made about how to allocate the vaccines to different governments. You've made supply agreements around the world. How will Pfizer decide who gets how much vaccine first versus the U.S., Europe, Asia? You know, all of these different questions.
1: First of all, we have two separate manufacturing lines. One, it is in the U.S., and that has uh, three manufacturing sites in uh, Massachusetts, in uh, Missouri, and in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And we have a separate line in Europe with uh, manufacturing sites in Germany and Belgium. Uh, So we'll be producing in parallel. Uh, We have uh, offered this vaccine and we have signed already contracts to multiple governments in the world. And in most cases, we define how these quantities will come month after month all the way to 2021. And we'll do that proportionally to all of them.
4: Can you break that down at all, Albert, just to give us an example of it? Is most of the vaccine that's being produced in each of those nations staying in those nations, or does it go out dependent on who signed up? Like, what's the breakdown for each of the governments you've already agreed to in terms of who gets what?
1: I think it's very, very important that we will not stay where they are manufactured, but uh, we will send them to the entire world because uh, you are as protected in a pandemic as your neighbor is protected. We need to understand that. But uh, nevertheless, we have two manufacturing lines to facilitate even further. So I hope that uh, we will be able to see the entire world uh, from these manufacturing sites without problems.
2: So, uh, Albert, when was it clear to you? uh, When did did you get the actual news? Was it just yesterday or it was over the weekend? What was the actual time? It was yesterday afternoon. It was around 2 o'clock. Amazing, the, the timing of everything. I just... Guys, I just it, Albert. This has nothing to do with you, but I just said I wonder how Zoom Communications is doing. Um, it closed at 500. It's bidding 440 uh, right now. So I, it, it's going to be Albert. It it's, it's changes a lot of different things. I think uh, just the way that we think about uh, you know travel, uh, and and we've talked about all these things. And and I don't want I don't want everything to get ahead of itself. And I'm wondering what are we missing in terms of of something that that could pop our bubble down the road is there anything you can think of that uh, that could that could come out is any, anything that that uh, other than supply issues which we've heard about again and again and again
1: i think that uh the, 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 this was a very important but only the first step and now we feel very 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 confident about the efficacy because it's overwhelming uh, we feel very good about safety but we need to wait until next week when uh, the safety data will mature completely based on the guidelines of FDA. And of course, we need to make sure that we can constantly manufacture it in both, uh, uh, in both uh, continents, in Europe and in the U.S., in the quantities that we are saying. We feel good about all of that. But of course, as you said before, this is something that uh, has done first time in the world. I believe this is likely the most significant medical advance in the last 100 years, right? If you count the impact that this will have in uh, health of the public health, uh, uh, global economy, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm happy that we have the whole Pfizer machine and, of course, BioNTech's, uh, our partners, machines, behind this, and we will be able to support it, I hope.
3: Albert, it's Meg Terrell again. Um, you know, We've talked so many times about the timing of this data, and it was so tied to Election Day. Um, you had expected you would see by the end of October whether the vaccine worked. Uh, you're getting this news now a week after the election. What do you say if President Trump accuses you of waiting until after the election to release this information?
1: For us, the election day was always an artificial date. We were not working with the election as a timeline. We were working. I released a letter, if you remember, Meg, to our employees uh, some time ago uh, saying that uh, the only pressure we feel it is the pressure of the billions of people that are hoping on our vaccine. And we are going to follow the speed of science. So science spoke, and uh, I was predicting that this will happen at the end of October. It happened a week later. I think uh, the most important thing right now for everyone, it is to feel the joy that it happened. And it happened so well, 90
4: percent. 90 percent is just amazing. I, I know that, the, again, for people who haven't been listening through this entire thing, for the flu vaccine, it's generally 40 to 60 percent effective. But I, I just wonder, for the 10 percent that it's ineffective with, is, is there a pattern? Can you determine if there's some commonality for the people it doesn't work in?
1: It is too early because, as I said, I don't have visibility to all the data. It is a, a group of independent experts. That uh, they can see those data unblinded, Uh, and uh, once we have uh, the study completely unblinded, that I think will happen at the end, uh, before the end of November. But Uh, then we do all analysis. And also keep in mind, I said that it is more than 90 percent. I didn't say it is 90 percent. Oh, okay. That's that's (laughs) even better. Uh, More than 90. We will not give a specific number because you know the numbers from 92 to 100. uh, 64 may change one, to points, up or down, right? So, but right now I feel comfortable it is more than 90%.
2: But it is dependent on, on a patient's immune system, own immune system. So I'm wondering, can you be so immune compromised for whatever reason that, it, that it's not effective? And is it more effective in, uh, in people with vibrant immune systems, younger people, people that don't have comorbidities? Do you, or does it seem across the board in terms of effectiveness?
1: I believe, yes. In biology, you never have 100 percent. And uh, in general, speaking about uh, more than 90 percent is one of the highest uh, results that you can hope and expect for vaccines right now. And there will be also some people, but it will be a small percentage. So when you see it from public health perspective, um, this is more than what you could ever hope to have. This is a game changer.
2: And I, wonder, and I wonder what else we can, why can't we, I guess the coronavirus that causes the common cold mutates so quickly that, that it's impossible to, to, to have something that lasts year to year. I'm just trying to understand the difference between maybe some other uh, chronic recurring seasonal diseases that, that we have and why this new technology couldn't be applied to that or, or whether it can be applied to some of those things. Do you know at this point, Albert?
1: Look, I mean uh, speaking about mutations of coronavirus, I think that this is a likelihood uh, scenario. Uh, we we start seeing some of them right now looks like uh, our vaccine is as I said very effective to all the mutations that exist out there right now. But in case that uh, a new mutation that uh, requires uh, let's say a new vaccine emerges in one or two years, the good thing with uh, this technology is that you can adapt uh, the technology extremely quickly because as you were saying before this uh, you're sending uh, a message to yourselves to produce uh, dna it's an rna message that we are sending so uh we can just change the code in our vaccine without changing manufacturing process without changing virtually anything and then being able to be effective against the new mutation so that's why we selected this technology when we started back in march we had access as pfizer to multiple platforms of technology And our scientists uh, proposed me and they selected to use this one for these reasons. You can boost as much as you want. For example, if you need to boost next year, you can do it because this technology allows you to do it and you can do it a year after. So you can have every year revaccination. And also, if there is a mutation, you can produce in weeks rather than months the new uh, vaccine.
3: Hey, Albert, it's Meg Terrell again. I just want to follow up on the international allocation of this vaccine, because it does seem like it could be a tricky situation. So to make sure we understand, Pfizer is going to be making the decisions about where the vaccine goes country by country. Um, And what about low-income nations? Does Pfizer have an agreement with COVAX, the facility through the World Health Organization? I mean, do we need some kind of international overseer of distribution, or will companies be making these decisions?
1: Right now, Pfizer has uh, agreements with multiple uh, governments, but also has discussions with uh, even more. And uh, uh, we are, of course, in discussions with COVAX facility, and we offer uh, to the COVAX facility to provide our vaccine to the low-income countries. These are the poorest countries of the world at a non-for-profit base for these countries. So uh, we are discussing uh, as we speak, and I hope that
5: uh, we will be able to provide uh, equitable uh, protection to the entire world. Uh, Albert, uh, as you've been speaking, uh, the current president, President Trump, uh, tweeting out the stock market up big, vaccine coming soon, report 90% effective, such great news, exclamation point. My question to you is, given the polling, Uh, around Americans' willingness to take the vaccine. Uh, You're seeing some polls suggest somewhere between one-third and two-thirds of Americans uh, say that they won't take the vaccine. What do you think has to happen? What do you think the industry and government needs to do to create the kind of confidence that you'd want to see so that much of the country, if not all of the country, ultimately takes it?
1: I think the the number one and most important it is that uh we keep discussing about uh, the vaccines on scientific and non-political terms. I think this is what confuses people and uh, make them doubt. They don't know whom and what to believe. The second is what we are already doing. We should continue doing it until the end, which is transparency. I believe that uh, we were very transparent with our protocols. We were very transparent with our safety data. We are extremely fast to announce the efficacy data once we have them. We believe that it's good that those data will be publicly exposed. I think FDA already plans to have a committee of uh, external advisors to FDA, that they will review the data publicly. And of course, I think uh, it is up to the greatest scientists uh, that we have right now in the world uh, and in the US uh, to express their opinion about this vaccine. I understand those that uh, they were confused, skeptical about the vaccine, but I need to repeat that the decision to vaccinate is not affecting only yourself. Uh, It's affecting the health of others and uh, likely the most vulnerable others. So because if you decide not to vaccinate, you will become the weak link that will allow this virus to replicate and produce the detrimental effects, which means so many people unemployed, 1,000 deaths every day in the U.S. only and even more in the world, much more in the world. So it's an important decision. I want everyone to be open-minded. From our perspective, we'll do everything we can to convince them that 170 years of legacy is something that we count as Pfizer and to plan to respect.
3: Albert, uh, some questions for you just about some of the nitty-gritty details you put there in the release. And we, of course, don't have the full data, but one of the details you included is that this 90% efficacy threshold was met in people who did not have evidence of prior infection with SARS-CoV-2. Now you are continuing to evaluate uh, both people who do have prior infection and who don't to see, you know, does it work for everybody? Um, But what scientifically does that potentially mean? You know, would people need to get an antibody test before they get this vaccine? Um, Just tell us about that detail and its significance.
1: Yes. No, I don't think, uh, I don't think, of course, it's up to FDA and the authorities, but I don't think really. Uh, The the first primary point is the only point that uh, the external experts uh, were allowed by protocol to talk to us. But, of course, they have data about also uh, people that have been previously infected and more by people without taking into consideration if they were previously uh, infected. Uh, that we will only know when the study is uh, complete. But typically, it's a lesser hurdle. So if you are able to protect people that were not previously infected, naïve, likely you will have better chances to protect people that were previously naïve. Also, we are going to see information that uh, we are going to have for uh, 14 days after vaccination because keep in mind that uh, right now we use the most extreme test for this vaccine. We tested people seven days after the second injection. This means... That uh, we tested if people can be protected four weeks after they start their vaccination schedule. First dose day one, 28 days we start looking events. It's very, very quick, and this is a very, very big test. We are testing also what happens in fourteen days after the second dose, which we expect would be an easier hurdle, but of course, we need to see.
5: Hey Albert, uh, to the, to the back to the confidence point about getting Americans and those around the world to take this. Um, Under what circumstances would you take the vaccine? How quickly would you imagine that you would do it? And if it wasn't the Pfizer vaccine, if it was another company's vaccine, what would you need to see personally for your family to decide to take that vaccine? Uh, FDA approves it in the U.S. as we live. And if I was living in Europe, that uh, European
1: authorities approve it. I, I truly believe in uh, in the integrity and scientific uh, capabilities first of all of fda that it is a renowned agency for these uh, capabilities but also the european the japanese agencies once they approve it i know that it's safe for my family myself i would like very much to get it among the first so that to demonstrate to the world that uh, i am the first one but i will try it with my family we need to see some ethical considerations if uh, for example we have a limited number of doses. I don't know if the government will recommend people of my age and my, I mean, CDC, people of my age uh, or uh, work capacity to be among the first to get the vaccine. So I want to respect that. But I will try to convince them that they will allow me to vaccinate.
3: Well, Albert Borla, this has been a historic morning. We appreciate you being here with us. I can only imagine the pride that your scientists and your entire team feel there at Pfizer. And we're, you know, we see light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you very much for, for being here with us this morning.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: SquawkPod will be right back.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground Service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively
3: FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 Upstream Methane Intensity Target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe.
2: It's all happening all at once. Uh, in, in, with the backdrop that just as a person, the notion that, that someday life gets back to normal is, is pretty amazing. I woke up to a horoscope that said you may be rather emotional about something today, which is not like you at all, I swear to God. <laughs> I swear to God, in the New York Post, um, at all. But the planets indicate you, ne- you, ne- you need to let your feelings show, so you can move on from a situation that's been in- affecting you intensely. And I, you know what? Uh, I, I, there's no crying in baseball, but man, um, there isn't COVID. Yeah, there is. <laughs> and that's, and that's, the <laughs>
4: idea that this can actually change things—you can I, see I your, so your many parents things. and your grandparents I, again.
2: I thought of my son, senior year. I thought of my daughter. I, I thought of you know, this, nobody's doing things. I thought of mass forever. I, I thought of uh, you know the airlines, their employees, the, the small businesses, restaurants. Um, it's just, I, I mean, I don't want to jump the gun either. And and. Uh, <laughs> You know, we've got a long way. It's got to, you know, I think it's got to be stored at mind. It's 95 degrees. I mean, there's a but lot it of logistical. Works.
4: It works. Right. You know, the idea, and it's, it's not 90% effective. The CEO told us it's more than 90% effective. And that is so much better than anybody was anticipating.
2: It was. It, movie theaters. I, I said close them. I mean, I, last <laughs> week it was like, why, why even bother? I, I drive past those places, and it's just, you know, and I like the popcorn. You know, I like the theater popcorn. Anyway. Um, it just could be for sports, for Vegas, for it's, it's across the board. I mean, did you feel the import of of having Albert Borlon for forty five minutes on the day that, yeah. that it happened? Yeah. I mean.
4: I, I am grateful I like to Meg it, for bringing him here and for letting us ask all the questions we had mm-hmm. and for him taking the time to go through all of it with us. Look, we we said that this is the, perhaps the biggest story of, of the year, and I think it is.
2: Um, he but said the biggest medical advance in, in a hundred years. In, in a hundred years. Since right? the last and, pandemic.
4: And, and when you think about what this means to the globe, Could be. that's probably not an exaggeration.
0: That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening to this one. Pfizer CEO shared with us this big, hopeful news about a possible vaccine. Please share this podcast with a friend. It's a good day. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.